Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another week of Enjoy the Walk podcast. Pumped to uh, kind of dive in this week, Dante. We've got uh, you know the RBC Heritage kind of taking center stage in the in the sports world for a change, um, and that was awesome and fun to see. We've got amazing news in the PGA Championship realm of things, um, but we're just happy to have another week with golf, man. It, it's great to have live golf back, and uh, we're pumped to talk about it and and hopefully get into some fun interviews again this week. So, man, how's uh, how did the weekend treat you? The weekend treated me well. Um, I'm at the point where I don't even know what day it is anymore. <laughs> but I took a, a nice three day, uh, three consecutive day off from golf because I, I said it before. There is playing too much golf. You can play too much golf, and that was me. So I took off uh, for three days, played Sunday, and never felt better. I mean. I struck the ball so good that day. The swing felt great. Putting was so, so greens were a little on the slower side, but I mean, it's, I mean, it was like 90 degrees and humid out. Um, I think maybe one too many transfusions kind of rocked me on the uh, 15th hole. I tripled it and that kind of just made me from shooting 80 to where I could have easily broke, uh, broke 80 and shot like, I don't know, 76, 77. Uh, yeah. So, I think we've uh, all been there. I want to dive into that off the first bat. I want to know our listeners' opinion on this too because we, we've done this so many times. You and I have played together plenty of times now where uh, we've had enough drinks, and it's such a fine line to be, between like riding the buzz of being perfectly buzzed and being in a happy state and still knowing where your limbs are going and having that just one too many and your body's all over the place and doesn't know how to make a good golf swing. And it didn't help that – I was carrying my bag in like 90 degree heat and obviously walked. I was just carrying, getting double transfusions and I was just sitting there. Oh boy. And it was like, you're right. It was at a point where, you know, you had a nice little, little swing lube. I like to call it like loosens you up a little bit. And then maybe that one or two many extra sips and it just like hits you like a, wall of bread you're like whoa dude i was like <laughs> i was like all right i knew i was trying to focus too i knew i had a good round going everything was going well and well off the tee i hooked it into like this tree area I had to punch out then i wedged it um took a wedge and i was all over the flag but i was a little long i flew it over the flag and just landed on the back of the fringe you know i was like all right let's just get five so short par four i said let's get five get on out of here and then we're, we're good. We'll try and make it up on 17 uh, easy par five. That can be easily Eagle to birdie. So I was like, all right, here we go. So I came up a little short and dude, it was pretty much like a two, two, three footer. No problem. I got up there fully confident, pushed it. And that's when it was all hitting me. Uh, okay. All right. Great. All right, double missed again. Right off the bat. Push. Right off the bat. It's like, no, no, I didn't. Tapped and I said, and I was I was steamed, steamed, and I said, okay. And this is after reading the night before I read two chapters of that book, uh, Goth is not a game of perfect that Colby keeps hounding me to read for class. And I had all positive intentions, and the the first two chapters were great. 
was all about thinking ahead and, you know, not dwelling on the past, you know, typical positive stuff. And I was heated after that, but I said, all right, I'm blaming it on the transfusion and then walk to the next day. <laughs> it's funny, man, whether I'm drinking beer out in the course, which a lot of the guys uh, in the, in the groups I play with, you know, even do in the mornings, uh, there's plenty of guys that crack some natty lights in the mornings and, you know, nine, 10 AM after five, five or six holes in and, um, and they play better. And, you know, my buddy, shout out you, Jake Felch. He always says, you know, I need my swing lube. So he's always, mm. you know, two, three beers deep. But it's funny, and, I, and I'm maybe just the exception to the rule. Um, swing lube is good for me for about one drink, maybe two. If I get in a drink four, five, six, um, I'm, I'm pushing that line of playing well. The only time it worked for me, and you can attest to this, I was like six or seven truly deep at the Barstool Classic qualifier, and that's when I started playing better. We had more birdie looks after the rain delay where we drank for about an hour than we did the entire hour and a half, two hours before we got into the rain delay. I wonder if it's the environment too, when, it, depending it's on like be a little bit of both. Because I mean, you go out and play scramble because there's there's like three types of golfers, right? There, there's the, there's like the grinders out there that are, you know, grinding out money matches because they're prepping themselves for their I guess Philly, say the Philly open or something, mm -hmm. you know, their local state open and these guys can play. They're like scratches and plus handicaps. And then you got the guy who's maybe single digit or whatnot, who goes out and likes to, likes to compete, but still likes to have fun. And then you got guys out there who are just having looking out to have a good time. And it, I think it all kind of comes around like who you're with and the type of environment. Like, I mean, I can guarantee you if you're playing in your local state am, you ain't, you ain't cracking a sip of beer or any type of drink. You know what I'm saying? Tell you what, man, I've heard stories, and, and this is both from Pennsylvania and Maryland now. I've heard stories from where guys just, you know, they, they got a little personal stash, and it's not beers, but it's the Tito's or it's the, uh, it's the Jim Beam out there on the course, and, and, and guys ride along to that. And uh, I played with a guy in the Maryland Open that, uh, I mean, now, granted, it's not drinks, but it was uh, four or five cans of dip in a round. You know, I mean, he was just – ripping like big horseshoe lips of of skulls so i mean whether it's beer or alcohol in general or i think you know of the tobacco kind whether you know i mean we used to see all the greats back in the day arnie was a habitual ripper of the chain smoker yeah uh, man so i mean it they, whether it's beer or alcohol or you know any kind of just tobacco i think uh anything to get a little buzz going it seems to help rather than hurt most of the times in moderation in moderation, yeah, you know, everybody's sitting there just ripping shot for shot, and then four holes in, it kicks in, and then you're, you can't even stand on your own two feet. I mean, everybody has their, I guess you can say, quote-unquote, swing lube, whether it's, you know, a beverage of sort or tobacco or even just some other type of, even if it's non-alcoholic or smoking to where, you know, you need to – or they're chewing gum or I don't mm -hmm. know. A lot of the people are into like CBD gum or stuff like that. Some type of sedative, I guess you can say that kind of takes you away from the, from the nerves that are uh, in your loins, I guess. <laughs> they just like freaking out. So, you know, that, and that's, that's golf, man. It's just, it's just that one, one shot or that first tee, especially when you're stepping up on a tournament and you're it's, just, it's the whoa. best thing about it, man. I mean, and, and the fact that the one of the greatest golfers of all time, Tiger Woods even says like, I even still to this day get nervous on tee shots. 
Like, yeah. and that's what it's all about. And that's why golf is so amazing. There's never a point where I feel like with other jobs or people who play professionally, like there's never a point in golf where someone, you know, steps up and is like, oh, I've done this a thousand and one times or 10,000 times. Like this is just habitual now, you know, it's just, it's something about the game of golf that when you get over that little white ball, you still get some jitters, mostly because the guys playing it give a shit. And, and they love the game so much. But, I mean, let's be honest, even the greats get over a ball and sometimes think, boy, let's just not shank this. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, and, and like going back to the nerves thing, it's half – I guarantee you 95% of the time, it's just pure excitement for those mm-hmm. who have – that routinely do it. It's just, man, especially now. Now that golf's back, they're sitting there, sitting there like, man, I am – we're back. We're back grinding. I'm back to my job. Let's go. And you know, they're, they're super excited. So, you know, their nerves are probably kicking it a little, little 10 times harder. They have to be. Yeah. I mean, they just absolutely have to be, but uh, I want to know, I mean, you said your transfusion was the drink of the day. We had transfusions when we wrapped up the rounds uh, and after nine, uh, when we were down here at Lighthouse Sound, is the transfusion the go-to drink for you on the golf course during a hot summer day? It's that or a nice captain and Coke or captain and diet. It, it's that. Yeah. But my buddy, I mean, my buddy down here, Steve will love to hear that. He is all about the captain and Cokes. Uh, well, before something about, ice, something about an ice cold captain and Coke just hits good, no matter how hot it is. Yeah. And before, I guess you can say before I was notified or heard of, about the transfusion and it became like the golf staple <laughs> drink of, all across the country. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was the captain and Cokes because it's just that, it's just that, I guess you can say that's, it's just, I don't know. It's good. The carbonation from the, from the soda and just that the captain, you know, we always, I had a, I have a friend of mine that we golf with now. He's a retired guy. And whenever we're in the tournaments, we'd always do, you know, the little captain Morgan, you know, where he's kneel, uh, he's got his leg up on the, on the log and we just start cracking up and he would, he would just bring his own bottle of captain and, and bring his own bottle of Coke and we would just like mix them up. So I would say that was, and I think I'm leaning more towards my, uh, the transfusion, especially in the summertime. Cause it's just so refreshing to be oh, for sure. so refreshing. Yeah. I, um, I, I also have been leaning towards, you know, you talk about transfusion and I feel like that's been put on a pedestal because of the, the barstool podcasts. And I also have to just say, you know, it's, it's kind of the next drink I'm about to mention is very barstool esque. Um, I have been downing and I, when I say downing, I mean downing some, uh, some pink Whitney as of late with just a little bit of lemon seltzer and and a bunch of ice. Um, The pink Whitney has been my go-to lately. Uh, It is just so refreshing uh, and, and not heavy. You know, I haven't, I can't tell you the last time I've drank like a beer on the golf course, just because I just don't like the taste after like two or three beers sits heavy when it's hot out. It just doesn't go. Down uh, well. dude, it, beer warms up so quick in the can when you're just out there in 90 degree heat. And it all comes down to, I think weather plays a huge factor of what you're in the mood for, especially, mm-hmm. I mean, I'll probably crack open a beer in the fall, you know? rather than a transfusion in, in, the, just, in the fall time when it's like 60s and like yeah. maybe 50s beer go down beers go down fantastically but anything above like 75 80 degrees you, you can't drink it in the can which is mostly what all the golf courses give you mm-hmm. and if you're out in the golf course i don't think unless you're just drinking it very very fast because the minute you sit down hit a couple shots and get back to it beer's warm 
And that's, it's actually, it was, it's like that today we came after the round. So, you know, New Jersey, they just opened up outdoor seating for mm-hmm. eating for COVID. So I guess they just decided at the deer, which kind of is a little confusing on, on a uh, customer standpoint. They, they brought out all these tables and umbrellas right by the snack shack. And you remember it's right in between nine and 10. It was fantastic. It's like, I'm sitting there like, what, why? I said, we have a lot of guys. We have a lot of members that have serious rabbit ears. I was said, (laughs) this is not going to be good for them. They're going to have to think they're going to have to learn quick to get over that aspect. Because I mean, I played, yeah, I played Sunday and we came off of, we came off a of nine and there was all the morning group guys just shooting the shit, hooting and hollering, cracking beers, cracking drinks. And next thing I know, like I'm walking to the tent and I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh, man, I hope none of our guys have, uh, you know, are sensitive to, to noise because guess what? You're hearing it. They're playing music and whatnot, but going back to it, you know, I played, played the, this morning with my dad and we were sitting, you know, where the seats are and i got right. a, he got me a beer and i cracked it open and i ran around to go grab one thing do something i came back it's like warm was, yeah it's just uh it. there's something about uh and maybe it's us too with walking so much that like if i can put something in a tumbler too that lasts mm-hmm. a lot longer beer doesn't taste good from a tumbler nah. Vodka, mixed drinks taste phenomenal from a tumbler they just stay cooler better even when the ice melts a little it just gets better i feel like um something something about beer in a tumbler is just impossible to drink as well i think and, and i love having a tumbler when i'm out there walking it just makes it so much easier to have 32 ounces of something and stay ice cold from first hole to hole 15 rather than you know a can that's you know not even cold from my tee shot to the iron shot I'm going to hit next. So there's just, I don't know. There's a lot in, in, in the play of, of the go-to drink. And I want to know our fans go-to drink. That's about to say, yeah. Hit, hit us up on at enjoy the walk pod on Instagram or Twitter tweet at us or let us know on Instagram. What's your favorite go-to drink during the round? And, and I feel like a lot of people are going to say transfusions. Uh, I feel like a lot of people are going to say some sort of mixed drink, but uh, I, I have faith in the beer community. I think there's a lot of beer guys out there. And I, I, I would like to know their opinions and whether, you know, your go-to drink is also seasonal. Do you have a fall go-to drink? Do you have a summer go-to drink? I would like to know that too, because I and, guess you can say I have, I'm a fall. It's it's basically based on weather and mood. I know what that winter go-to drink is for everybody. What's that? Fireball. Oh, geez. Warm up them lungs, baby. Gotta, gotta warm up the lungs with a little fireball. Yeah, right. That's, you know, when we play winter ball, no doubt. Whew. <laughs> Yeah, well, you got you to gotta do something a little more, either uh, whether it's Fireball or what do they call them, hot toddies, little little Baileys in your coffee maybe. You know, I walk over to the guys who smoke cigars and just hover my hands over there, over like the, the burnt end of it, just that's heat up. Hey, whatever you got to do to keep those uh, keep those bones moving it when it when it's winter golf, you can. Oh, it, man. it's at all costs. It's all acceptable at that point. Yeah, let's let's uh, let's move on. Let's not talk about that. We still got a lot, lot of like summer it. left. Like Moving on from that then, man. Um, checking out our website, guys, www.enjoythewalkpod.com. Um, we've updated our pricing on there. Our hats are all on sale, $24.95 for the camo trucker hats right here, guys, with our black and white Enjoy the Walk shields. Uh, we have the gray and black trucker hat on there as well. 
as well as the gray dad hat with the black shield as well, guys. That's all $24.95. And we just released the new United We Walk line from Enjoy the Walk. So guys, we have hats, a couple shirts, a really awesome mug on there um, that is an American flag out of all of our Enjoy the Walk shields. So go check that out, guys. I hope you guys enjoy the new line of apparel. Um, Dante, we've got PGA Tour Golf to talk about. Yes, we RBC do. Heritage took center stage in front of the entire sports world for a change. It was not overshadowed by master overhang, and it did not disappoint. It didn't. It was, uh, it was fun to watch, and I know we said this uh, before we um, basically started going on, hit the record button, but I love when they, the PGA host tournaments and all the greats go or all the – top guys go and it's on a shorter course because them long ball hitters struggled a bit. They it had was incredible, man. My, uh, we, my kind of like text message group was going nuts on Saturday and Sunday um, on just the, God, I love this, man. This is amazing. This is incredible. The, the, it's just what an even field, what a beautiful course. And like time and time again, people forget who designed the course. Pete died. Pete Dye was diabolical in the way he made people think around a golf course. He didn't design tracks that were 7,500, 7,800 yards. He designed tracks that made people hit golf shots. You didn't hit driver every hole. You hit two iron here. You hit Some guys were hitting six iron off some tee boxes just to get themselves in play. The RBC Heritage is a phenomenal track to even the entire industry of golfers from guys who average 280 to guys who average 320. And even the guys that average less than 280 contend. C.T. Pan, who's like 5'5", 125 pounds soaking wet. Yes, it's an exaggeration. That's not fact. But he's skinny. He's short. He's not a bomber. He won last year. And he won by a couple strokes. Like, it's, it's a ball striker's course, and it shows who the great golfers are. And I think it showed again this week. You had Victor Hovland up there in the top 20. You had Joaquin Neiman, who's not a bomber, but is finally playing some good golf. Sergio Garcia, phenomenal ball striker. Terrell Hatton, amazing ball striker. Daniel Berger had the lead. He was, he was contending again after winning last week, so he's on a little bit of a heater. So, I mean, guys like that, Abraham Answer, another guy, T2 right there, not a long ball hitter, just an absolute ball striker. And I don't think Webb Simpson, who ended up winning, is notoriously a long ball hitter. He hits it maybe longer than, you know, your short guys, but he's just – he has had a phenomenally ball striking display over the last, you know, I think 10 to 15 months, and it showed here, and that's why he won. His iron and, game was incredible. And, and another thing, too – regarding like long and short ball hitters besides that it the field was stacked and if you looked at the leaderboard from thursday into friday you're mm -hmm. saying all right well here are the same top 10 uh there, bryson's in the mix and there's a few other guys in the mix that usually you know are in your top 10 all the time and then next thing you know they're 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 on the lower end and they're not even getting tv time saturday and sunday next thing i know you know terrell hatton's up there in the mix and you know they're like oh man he won before covid can he do it after covid or quote unquote after covid before like the before the break and after the break would this be cool to see and then they're talking about other guys here and there like i was watching abraham answer just start striping them and it was that's probably the coolest thing to see because 
it just goes to show how strong the field really is when it's almost at an, a fully equal level of play. It was, uh, it was really cool to see. I feel like the world got introduced to Abraham Answer at the President's Cup this past year down in Australia um, when the big kind of media thing was, oh, he called out Tiger. He wants Tiger. Um, he put up a hell of, hell of a battle. And people got to see, I think the whole weekend, Abraham Answer was the international's kind of MVP. Uh, he played well. He, he beat everyone else in an absolute beatdown. Uh, his matches were incredible, and, and it just showed again uh, this past weekend at the RBC how good of a player Abraham Answer is. And I would not be surprised to see him contend in some major championships in this fall. Uh, I think he's just a, he's a phenomenal player. Um, someone I want to talk about who you know I, I think uh, hasn't gotten a lot of airtime uh, in the past you know maybe I think year or so ha- has been Daniel Berger. I think he's kind of gotten overshadowed. He's kind of like the, I don't want to call it ugly duckling of the crew of like the Spieth Thomas uh, crew out there, but he, he's been seen hanging out with those guys and he's finally getting his due. It's fun to see him playing well, um, seeing him win last week and then really contend and almost have a shot at it again this week. Uh, it, it was fun to see and I'm happy to see him playing well. Yeah. And I think another like underrated thing too is, you know, the guy, the guy was, doing well on tour then he lost his pga tour card and had to get it back did some events on you know corn ferry got it back i and people just that kind of is not even in the news this guy was not even considered a pga tour player almost a year ago and he won one tournament and he's almost about he was in the mix pretty good in this past one (laughs) it's just like it just is crazy how some things get overlooked. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, I mean, he played in the President's Cup in 2017. Like, like you're saying, I think that was right after he got his card back. So, I mean, it was phenomenal to see this guy's rise into playing well and playing well consistently on tour. The year before that, he had lost it all pretty much and had to fight from ground zero all the way back up through, uh, I believe at that time, he went through the Corn Ferry Tour route. But just to see a guy fight like that and just absolutely have the grit and determination to, to never give up on a game that so easily demoralizes people when, the, when you lose it that quick, um, it's awesome to see him having the success. And it's kind of the age-old story, you know, just w- when you think you've lost it all, just never stop fighting because he's the perfect example of what, what can pay off and what can turn out after a good fight. Oh, no doubt. Couldn't agree more. So. And another another thing I liked about it too, again, is as viewers, without the fans, the mics are picking up, and if the announcers really aren't speaking, the the mics are picking up a lot more from the players, even if they aren't uh, mic'd up. I know Brooks Kepka said that, <laughs> but they actually like the PGA Tour Instagram account actually showed, which I thought was pretty crazy and pretty funny. I mean, I guess Bubba and Wesley Bryan were playing against each other. I think they posted the day they they ended up playing like a a individual match yep. together and they were showing clips of them you know chirping each other back and forth which I thought was great and dude it, and that's that's a 
man, we need that. The see, it's need incredible. You know, that's going out there. There's always been rumors of this stuff. Like, Oh, like Phil over the last decade or two has always had these big money matches during PGA tour events, like walking up to the first tee or even approaching guys. He knows he's playing with in the clubhouse and saying, Hey, like, you know, let's get our own match going hundred a hole or something like that. Like ended up, you know, five, six grand in a freaking 18 hole match and on in a Saturday in, in a PGA tour event. And you know, this stuff's going on. These guys are fierce competitors. Their pockets are loaded. So they're not just playing for the dollar or two that you and I are playing with. And it's awesome to see that like, all right, yeah, these guys are doing it. And, and not just like the lower end of the pack, like the Kepkas out there are doing it. You know, the, the, the high end tour professionals out there are still having these side money matches. That's exciting to see. And that adds, I think, an extra element to the PGA tour that's been missing for so long is hearing these inside access kind of comments between all these guys. Yeah. And then I think it makes it fun too, for those guys that are kind of in contention or, you know, they make the cut and they're not necessarily in contention to so say like you're going in to the weekend and you, you, it's Saturday, you finish the Saturday round, say it, I don't know, eight under and number one's leading at 18 under. You're sitting there thinking, well, I already have to shoot 10 under plus. That's really hard to do. At least, you know, hey, why don't I, if I want to try and focus and maybe get myself up in the ranks like a little bit higher of the paycheck, why don't I just kind of challenge my playing partner for the day? See what happens there. See if we can kind of pick and choose our battles and chirp each other and kind of get a little of our competitive juices still going because sometimes on a mental side of it, you look at it, you're like, well, I'm out of it. And then you just kind of go through the motions. And next thing you know, you're, you go from eight under to two under and you just lost thousands of dollars. Right. And that, and that's what's thing is too. It's like, it's giving these guys another kind of incentive to play when, like you said, they might be, they might be out of the large purse, but they still might be, in kind of their quote unquote money match between the, between the two of them. So it's fun to see. And, and I'm excited to hopefully see more of it as we move into the, the next couple of tour stops here uh, next week, uh, being out at the rocket mortgage classic, uh, I believe in, in Detroit, Michigan. And uh, so that'll be fun to see. I hope they cover it. Well, they, they've been doing a better job each week seems to get better. The, the, the coverages seem to go through and say, you know what? Hey, we we're, we're figuring out with no fans. We're starting to understand what we want to cover. That's different from how we used to cover it. And uh, it, it's fun to see whether it's the golf channel or NBC or whoever it is kind of start adapting to no fans and start understanding what we've been wanting to see for months on end now. Yeah. I agree, man. I mean, I think they should, this whole no fans and fans thing, because I know the PGA Championship said they're hosting it, they're having it, they're having it at TVC Harding Park, Mm -hmm. and they just said they're not doing, they're doing away with fans. I think the PGA should stop playing cat and mouse with the viewers and just shut it down and basically say no fans, because obviously the, the viewership from, you know, watching it on tv they're still doing a great job broadcasting it and and like you said and like we've been talking about we're getting a different it's like a different time we're getting new it's like new broadcasting in a way it's new viewership because they have to cope with covid and this pandemic on how to how are we going to be able to broadcast this and kind of what to give the viewer and they're actually kind of doing very i'll give them props even though we trash them all the time 
props to them making the viewership and the program actually worth watching because you're you're picking up on things that you normally wouldn't and they should just do away with no fans this year you know i mean everybody's taking a hit with a bunch of stuff uh just just call it no fans the rest of the pga tour you'll figure it out absolutely so yeah, guys, uh, we're excited to kind of see what the, what the future holds for uh, the broadcast. As we always said, we, we know it can get a ton, ton better, um, but uh, we'll hopefully see more more chatter like that, more of those side matches, more of all that kind of, you know, just I think the good old boy golf that we know, we know goes on out there. But uh, guys, I think that's it for us this week. Happy to uh, bring on a top 10 world rank long driver, uh, a, world, a Symmetra Tour Pro, and just an absolute, uh, I think, addict of the game uh, in golf with Alex Phillips here on the show next. So we'll bring her on and hope you guys enjoy the rest of the show. Like we said, guys, we have a top 10 world rank long driver with us, uh, Symmetra Tour Pro, and, and hoping to, I imagine, get back out there and get competing in, in either shape or form as soon as uh, things, you know, normalize themselves. But uh, happy to welcome Alex Phillips onto the show. Alex, thanks for joining us this evening. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, thank you. So you said you're out in the, in the Las Vegas area, um, you know, in the Nevada area. Is that where, Nevada. Is that where it all began for you? <laughs> Um, yeah, born and raised up in Reno, Nevada. Um, I played a lot of other sports, but got into golf. And then I was super lucky to get out to the 805 and play golf at Cal Poly. Um, played under Coach Cartwright for four years and then ended up staying as a coach for a year. Um, and I miss it every day. I miss the wine. I miss the beach. But, you know, I'm here enjoying my 108 degree heat in Vegas. <laughs> wow, I was just, we were just complaining about 90 degree. Yeah, I just got off the golf course and it was 108. Yikes. Is there is there is there like tips and tricks to like bear that heat or is it just mind over matter at that point? Uh, you know, don't get too drunk too quickly is kind of the rule. <laughs> fair, totally fair. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, what's so crazy is you get used to it so quickly. Your body really adapts. Um, like my sister went to school in upstate New York. When I went to go visit her, she was in a sundress and I was in jeans, boots, and a jacket. Like it, it's just, it's just so different being there. And now that she lives here, if it's under 70, we're in sweaters. Like you just get so used to the heat that it's, it's really not that bad. For sure. Dante and I kind of experienced that when we went down to Florida last year, uh, it was, we, we left like 20 degree weather and went oh, down to brutal. about 60 degrees. And, and of course we were in like flip flops and a t-shirt cause we thought 60 degrees felt like, you know, a heat wave and, and everyone <laughs> around us was in jackets and, 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 you know, sipping on their coffees cause they were freezing. So I, I think I know exactly what you mean as far as your it's body. It's so crazy how, how you get used to it. Yeah. That's I've incredible. come to the realization wherever you're at, winter will always be a winner. It's just, do you want to deal with 10 degree weather or do you want to deal with 60 degree weather? And I'll deal with 60 degree winter weather and, and any day of the week. Like, summer here is our winter. Like you don't really go outside that much, but we still can. You can still play golf in 110 degree weather. It sucks, but you can still play golf. Whereas, you know, in Chicago, you're not playing golf for six months. <laughs> No chance. <laughs> nope, not at all. <laughs> That's something I wish we both could say is we have golf year round. Uh, some, some winters are better than others to us here in like the northeastern part of the United States. But, um, you know, sometimes we can get out there in, in those winter jackets and play. And other times there's three feet of snow on the ground and we're not so lucky. Listen, I've, I've played year round before. It's just, do you want to be crazy enough to be, bring a drill 
and a drill bit to drill in the uh, a hole into the ground in order to just stick the T in there. I got Listen, I, back in Reno. I'm hitting I'm hitting lob wedges a hundred and you know ninety yards because it hit off the green and skyrocketed into the air. The best part is there's no water hazards up though because it just bounces off the ice. My next statement that's was going to be exactly true. Yeah, that's that. Been, Our home that. course, we had this one par five where you could cut the corner every winter because you would just hit it and it would bounce over the pond about three or four times and then you'd be right in front of the green. It Perfect. was the greatest play ever. Great plan. On that, it's, a, it's a completely different game. You have to – you have – it's funny because a, uh, a lot of our friends, like the friends I play with and whatnot, we have our winter yardages and we have our summer yardages. Oh, Totally. Because it's like you have like 150 yards, you're going like two clubs less because you got to play for the bounce. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Landing on the green is not going to happen. Nope. <laughs> so take us through that. I want to I know like ge- geographically where, where your favorite place is to maybe compete with the World Long Drive. Because I feel like you guys travel all over the country and see so many different parts of the country in that you know, spectrum of – cold weather, hot weather, you know, where has been your number one place to compete and have a lot of fun and see the ball fly? The best place to compete is Mesquite. Why everyone loves Mesquite as the best grid is because it's soccer fields. So it's um, soccer field, soccer field. So it's dead flat um, for hundreds of yards. So whereas like, like worlds this year, one side of the grid was hotter than the other because there was like a little hill. And so if you got off the back side of the hill, it bounced harder, right? So it was kind of, so people that were like playing a draw off the right side kind of have that advantage of maybe hitting that hill, getting that bounce. So Mesquite is the best grid because it is field. So it's dead flat. So that's one reason we love it. It's also, I mean, it's not Denver, but we're at 3000 feet in Mesquite. So we do have a little bit of help with the altitude um, and it's desert heat, you know, so it's, it's, it's warm enough. As long as the wind is in your face, Mesquite tends to be the best place. Um, to visit, not so much. I mean, it's mesquite, but um, you, you know, actually, you know, I'm I'm from Reno. I hate everything about Southern Nevada, but being here for five years, Vegas is great. Mesquite is amazing. If you ever get the opportunity, they have some awesome golf courses out there. The golf courses are beautiful. It's basically Utah, where they have all the red rocks and stuff, and it is absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, it's one place I haven't been. I don't know about Dante, but uh, it, it's always on the list. I feel like it photographs well. Like you said, it's the that red rock. Out there gorgeous. Yeah, and it's 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 definitely on the list. We we we've put it on. I think the top of the list uh, De- as far desert. as just west in general, De- like yeah. the desert western area in the United States in general. I think There's the furthest furthest west I've been was I lived out there was Illinois, and then made it back to the East Coast. <laughs> so Illinois is the East Coast. <laughs> I mean, I all right, differ, so I'm gonna cut him some slack. He's on like the shore of Jersey area, not close. I'm, not four, close. I'm about an hour from Atlantic City, so okay, that's west. Too, yeah, because there's not much east. Midwest. Yeah, there's not much east. Is there no such thing as Midwest anymore? It's just east and west. I mean, like now you draw it at the Mississippi. It's one hard yeah. line. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, anywhere I don't want to live is east. So, like, Illinois and east, no one wants to live there. <laughs> no. Fair enough. So, obviously, you're a Cali girl. You want to be back in Cali. That's the end goal, right? I love California. I miss it so much. I miss the beach. My dog loves the beach. So, we uh, we get spoiled and get to go out there and visit all the time. I love that. So, talk us through how you got to Cal Poly. Like, what was your kind of growing up in the game? Um, how did you, you know, take the steps as, like, a junior golfer to get – to set yourself up to to go play college golf? 
Um, I did not take the correct steps. To be <laughs> um, I never played AJGA, IJGT, FCWT. I never played any of those. Um, I won the state high school championships my junior year. I had an average drive of about 285 in high school, and I had a four, uh, over a 4.0 GPA and a 32 on my ACT. Um, the fact that I had those kind of grades, I had those kind of test scores, and then I could hit the ball that far most coaches that that letter wrote itself i literally wrote like a two sentence letter that was like hey my name is alex i just won state i hit the ball this far i got 32 on my act if you're interested let's talk more every single coach wrote, wrote back because you you don't get a lot of students that are student athlete instead of just an athletic student um you know it, it's uh especially a school like cal poly where it's very academically strenuous you know you don't want you don't want to get you want the best athletes, of course, but you also want athletes that are going to stay academically eligible for four years. So we get a lot of engineers, a lot of students that are focusing more on the athletic side. So a coach that wanted someone that could do both, you know, I, I was very lucky to find coach. Um, but that letter definitely wrote itself after winning state um, because, you know, only 50 girls can say that. Yeah, yeah, it's Nevada, and we don't have, like, quite the competition that someone like California has. Um, but the fact that I, I could say that and I can hit the ball that far, it, it's tough to, to beat that. So I will say, like you said, it, there's only 50 girls in the country that can say that. And, and to have that on the resume uh, it is pretty tough to beat. Uh, another gentleman who we have on the podcast sometimes back and forth, he, he won the Pennsylvania State Championships. And, and he had the same quote unquote problem was he didn't have to write a long resume. It, it kind of wrote itself. And, uh, and that's pretty neat to know that, you know, obviously the grades backed up the, the accomplishments on the course, because whether it's golf or other sports, a lot of times it's kind of the vice versa of the, you know, kids get a great rap sheet, whether it's travel baseball or travel basketball, or like you said, the AJGAs, the IJGTs, and, and they get that kind of sheet, but then it's like, well, it, are they, are they scraping by on the other side just to, just to make ends meet? So that's really neat to hear that it was kind of, you know, the grades backed up the, the personal accomplishments on the course. And that's exactly who I recruited when I was, when I was coaching. Cause I was in charge of recruiting for a year. And that's the students I wanted was the ones that, you know, they might not have been the top, but they're in the top rankings, but they're academically going to be able to get through Cal Poly. Cal Poly is not an easy school, especially a lot of our, our athletes were engineers. That's also a big reason I chose Cal Poly was to study biomedical engineering. He was one of the only, they can't say you can't study it, but they're always like, Hey, you should study communications. <laughs> Business. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Kind of sounds like Dalton's experience with architecture. <laughs> yeah. So that was kind of the same thing I ran into and why I ended up going to like a smaller division three school was because I wanted to study architecture. Um, and I ran into the same thing. I, I wasn't a standout on the golf course as much as like some of like the state champions or like your high ranked AJGAs, but like I could play enough to like make some of the like the smaller D1 teams, but it was always the same conversation of, hey, you know, if you really want to do architecture, you're probably not going to play for me. And it was just like the unfortunate truth of, of what I was going down. Um, exactly. It's and a tough conversation for a lot of college kids to have. It really is. And that was a big thing with me is that coach would allow me to do that. Mind you, I got there the first year and realized I had to take a lab for four hours. that didn't count for credits. And I was like, <laughs> no, I'm going to study poli sci. So <laughs> I ended up, but it, I got to make that decision. A coach didn't make it for me, which, sure. you know, I, 
it's a tough conversation. And I, and I saw both sides of it in the recruiting stage in high school. And then as a college coach, I, I, I got to see the other side of it. And it's like, yeah, we want you, but we also want you to have time to practice. We want you to be able to play for four years. If we're going to put the time and the effort into recruiting you and teaching you, we want you to be able to play for four years. And engineers, after three years, they just have so much lab time. They, most of them don't get to play their senior year because they're just in labs. They can't compete, you know, and which just like you said, you're going to either choose the school for the academics or not. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, 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 it's unfortunately a very kind of hot or cold situation. Like you said, it, it, whether it's labs or whether it was, you know, for like me with studio time, we had five hour studios three yeah. days a week and it was kind of the same deal. And um, I, I was blessed with a, with a coach that said, all right, you know, you can, I don't want to say break the rules to make the rules, but he's like, just get your gym time in when you get it in or, or get your practice time in when you get it in. And, and we were lucky enough to have a couple of us um, in the program in architecture and golf. So we all kind of banded together and, you know, did both at the same time. We had a couple architects. So it was one of those awesome. little special scenarios where um, you got to just find the right fit at the end of exactly. the day and search and out what's important to you. And that's a big reason coach Cartwright was able to last 20 years at Cal Poly because he understood that people were there for engineering and he made it work. So it ran him into the ground for sure. He would spend 15 hours at the golf course. He would be there at 5 a.m. for the students who, who could only practice from 5 to 7 a.m., right? They had class and then lab or studio. And so he was there at 5 a.m. to help those students practice. And then he stayed for the ones that practiced in the middle. And then he went home at sundown because he had students, he had players that would come to practice at 6 p.m. Like the amount of time that coach just spent hanging on the driving range with us I can't imagine his wife was a saint to deal with him is all I'm <laughs> yeah that's a that's a whole nother level of commitment because there's a, most sports you know you have your team practice and then you go home yep. uh golf's one of those special ones where we can do it on our own and we can kind of create our own schedules so exactly. uh, I think I think a lot of coaches out there around the country deserve a a quick shout out and, and a thank you to a lot of us student athletes, especially on the golf course. Cause Oh, absolutely. God knows we put in uh, a lot of wider range of time than most people. And it's not on campus most of the time either. A lot of people are exactly. at different venues and stuff like that. So that's really awesome to hear that he was able to spend that much time. That was kind of a name in the industry that I wasn't aware of that had coached for that long. So that's really cool to hear about. Yeah. And he, he was actually coaching both men's and women's. Um, one year when I was there, he spent six days, all of February at home. One time of more than once, um, he would be coming home with the men's team his wife would drive the women's team. They would switch vans and he would take the women's team from like Santa Barbara, take them to the next event. And she would drive the boys home. Like that was the amount of time that my coach Whoa. put in both of his teams. And I can't imagine the amount of hotels he slept in. <laughs> I couldn't last a year <laughs> coaching and he did it that long. He's retired this year. So uh, we're excited to see where the program goes with our new coach, but Cartwright's a staple at Cal Poly. That's awesome. That's so cool. He's definitely got some frequent flyer miles to use now that he's retired. Oh my God. <laughs> that's crazy so talk us through you coach you said you coached for a year um after right after you graduated if i'm not mistaken yes what what kind of led you into the i'll stay for a year and coach mentality and like how was your helping recruiting you know did it did it stem a lot from like you said your experiences there uh in choosing cal poly in the first place um yes uh one of the big things was i did not want to leave the beach yet so i was not ready to leave I was like, coach, you should give me a job. And he goes, okay. And I was like, yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of how it happened. Um, but no, it was awesome. Um, I've been coaching with the first team on and off at this point for 15 years. Uh, I worked with a few different chapters. So I've worked with kids 
Um, I've worked with different programs. I know the FCWT guys really well. Um, I've just kind of been around it for a long time. Um, and then even when I was in college, I, I helped a lot of the students, a lot of my teammates decide on their schedules and stuff, what classes to take, because I came in with a bunch of AP classes, all that stuff. My schedule was a lot easier in college than a lot of other players. Um, I was very lucky in that. But so when I was helping coach recruiting, I, I kind of had that, you know, we had architects, engineers, we had business majors, communications, like I kind of knew what to look for and what to talk to the students about because I had that experience, which was awesome. Um, but it was, it was different. Um, I was, I was young. A lot of the players on my team I had played with. Um, I, I wish I'd waited a couple of years to return and return back. Um, which I would like, I'm kind of looking at going back into it here soon, but right now, um, I mean, when I did it, I loved it. I got to travel with the team. I got to help with practice and everything. Um, it, it was an awesome experience. Um, but I also, you know, I then got out of that, got into long drive, started traveling with that. So I've kind of been, you know, a little bit all over the map with it. Yeah. And I mean, that that's really cool to hear too, that I'm sure obviously you said the beach influenced you to stay, which is a no brainer that, that you don't have to explain that to anybody. That's a, <laughs> duh, like, yes, of course, anyone would choose that. Um, but the, the, the girls that were on the team there, as you were still coaching, you said you had a good relationship with too. Uh, what do you think it'll be like when you go back with kind of the next generation of players coming up and, and really not being the, the core group of ladies that you had known so well? Um, if you do go back, how do you think uh, you'll kind of take maybe the experience of the time you stepped away back and lessons learned to, to maybe even coach better if you can go back? Oh, absolutely. Um, a big thing I noticed, like the first tournament I went with the team as a coach instead of a player, um, it's pretty vivid. It was Classic Club down in Palm Springs. And I had my yardage book from when I played, right? And I opened it. We're at the first tee. I'm like, all right, girls, grab your. And I looked at it. And all of my, my notes were like, hit driver over the bunker. And I looked at the girls with me. And I'm like, yeah, grab your, grab your drivers. You can all hit. You won't reach the bunker. Like, it blew my mind how different I played. Because I didn't really notice that with my teammates. Like, yeah, I played different. But, like, we didn't really talk about that as much um, as I did just with coach. And he didn't really, like really explain how different I played the game. So in coaching the girls, I was like, wow, this is really different. And now, now playing professionally and seeing how other girls play, like I would be much more proficient at helping <laughs> and, and having that course management and, and knowing how different people played the course differently. Even just talking to my dad, like I grew up with my dad. He was my first swing coach and everything. We'll stand on the tee box now. He goes, this is a cut hole. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm hitting a draw all day. Like We see the golf course so differently. But the fact that we can have that conversation, I couldn't do when I first coached. I was like, you're doing this. And they're like, no. And I was like, yeah, I'm older than you. I know better. But that's not what it is. It, it's working with the players and knowing to their strengths and everything. You know, like one of the girls I remember – she had hit a, a, not a great tee shot. She was in the trees and I was like, all right, you're 75 yards out. Like when you'd hit a low 75 yard shot, she goes, I don't have that. I was like, what do you mean you don't have that? She goes, I hit my 75 yard shot is high. And I was like, we'll hit like your hundred yard club, but less. And she goes, no, I hit it full. I hit 75 yards, but it won't go under that tree. And I was like, okay, then chip out and then get up and down. She goes, okay. And I was like, 
whoa, in a million years, I would never play that because my chipping wasn't good enough for it. Right. So like the fact that she played to her strength, she's like, I don't have that shot. I'm going to go to where I can get up and down and having that experience and, and being able to talk players through what their strengths are rather than what I see on the golf course. You know, that's, that's a big difference. It's something I've really learned in the last few years. And, and I'm, I'm so glad you touched on that because it's incredible to me. And what I kind of realized now that I'm out of college golf for like three or four years now is I'm like, whoa, like each one of us players were so different and so diverse in what we were good at. And like, like you just said, I would have never thought to play some of the ways when I, when, when we practiced together of how other kids played shots. And it's like, kudos to the coaches out there, especially the, the ones that had long tenure of like being able to bring groups together and, you know, tackle each hole with each different player because that's that's not something a lot of people can do and 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 like you said I think it's it's learned over time but it, it's incredible to see the amount of different ways a, a one single hole can be played oh absolutely and you see coaches growing and learning and coach Curry had been there forever and he was very good at that um and very and he was very good at helping you make your own decisions he would stand on the par threes and he'd tell you a yardage you know and what it's playing he wouldn't say hit your seven iron because it, you know, he's got to deal with 12 different girls there. He doesn't know everyone's distance, but he's like, this is the distance to hit it. You know, like the first girl tried to hit it 130. She came up short. So it's a 135 shot. Whereas we had an assistant coach one year and she did the same thing. And she goes, you need to hit eight iron. I was like, I'm hitting a wedge. And she goes, you can't get that there. And I'm like, you don't know me. Like you've never, literally never seen me play. And I hit wedge over the green. And I was like, I kind of stepped on it just to prove a point, but that's who I am as a person. Uh, But that's, now she is a top ranked coach because she learned from that, you know, and, and, and I love seeing coaches that are improving and in them getting better, they're making their players better. Yeah, a hundred percent. And that's so, that's so funny that you use that example. Cause I think a lot of people might do that just to say, well, no, you're wrong and I'm right. And, and, and that, that doesn't grow to create good relationships between coaches and players. It, it ends up just creating more kind of distance and, and, you know, not getting that team like, you know, uh, morale as good as it could be if you just have that conversation and learn. So um, th- that's cool to see, you know, did you end up taking the stuff that you learned through that one year and becoming a better player yourself? after all those experiences? Absolutely. Um, And that's one of the reasons I returned to playing. Um, When I was coaching, I I wasn't. um, I actually had had a knee surgery in college. My scores weren't quite where I wanted them to be. And that's kind of why I took some time off. It took almost a year off. And then I got into long drive. Um, And as I was competing in long drive, I, I was remembering the things that I noticed with the girls that I was coaching. And then I got back into coaching juniors again. And and seeing the fundamentals, and it's not even the fundamentals, but seeing the same mistake repeated by numerous players, right? Like I would think about it. I was like, Oh, I do that. Like, (laughs) I'm like, yeah, I'm coaching 12 year olds, but as a 25 year old professional, I'm doing that. No. So you, you are reminded of the basics. You're reminded of the course management when you're coaching college kids. You're reminded of basic posture aiming when you're coaching juniors. You know, it's, you, you learn, if you pay attention, you can learn a lot. There's so many times, I think even myself, like I've been playing the game since I was five years old and you, you almost, you play it too long in an aspect and you start over analyzing things. When you break it down to the fundamentals, Dante and I um, kind of, we joined this, uh, this mental game class where he talks a lot about, uh, he talks a lot about course management. And one of those things is like, just not forgetting the fundamentals and kind of 
it's huge. not breaking it down too much. And, and that's, it's, it's crazy how much we can learn from juniors. I kind of had the same experience you were talking about. I worked with the junior PGA for two summers when I was home and it was just, it was funny to me. It was like, I don't even think about that. And these kids do it without a heart, like without thinking yeah. because they're so focused on the fundamentals and it's cool to be able to step back for a second and learn from the little kids. It's like, I, I'm, oh, I'm learning from these little kids. And it's just, it just, it just clicks to remind you of things. Sometimes my swing coach will give me a drill and I'm like, dang it, Brian. Like that's something I give my children. And he goes, yeah, well, why aren't you doing it? And I was like, I don't know. Like I I'm giving it to other kids. Obviously it's beneficial. Why am I not doing it? I don't know. I'm not too good for that, but apparently I think so. So I, you know, you, you really can learn a lot from the kids. I remember one time I was coaching at Stanford and I had this one girl, really good player and she hit the shot absolutely pure seven iron she comes up like 30 yards short and I look at her and she looks at me she goes yeah I'm from Kansas we don't got hills like this but <laughs> it was this uphill green and she she forgot about elevation because she that's not part of her routine and I'm like that's something that she now has to add in you know and and you can tell like it was like the 12th hole and she goes forgot about that and I was like you, you know but in a professional event you can't forget about that stuff you know that's absolutely basic but something especially when i go to like texas i forget about the grain of the greens because i don't have that you know and that's yeah. something that you just have to be conscious of and something that you notice when you're teaching the little ones like i'm going to teach you this and then i need to remember that too <laughs> <laughs> that always blows my mind is how these pros travel from you know region to region to region and can kind of master each little different grain of grass and each different kind of, you know, texture of rough oh, they're in. And it's, it's impressive to me. And I mean, you see guys, they'll, they'll, they'll do good on a West coast swing and struggle maybe, you know, in your, in your East coast, you know, kind yeah. of through Florida. Cause it, they just don't like the, the surfaces they're putting on. That's, that's not where we grew up. Yeah. And, and it's, and, and it's, perfect. that's the cool thing about golf is, is we're all battling the course and each course is different, especially region is different. And, and oh, that's absolutely. what I love about watching, each different swing and, and who kind of starts pumping their names up to the top of the leaderboard because mm -hmm. it's where they're from. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, you can definitely it, tell. I drove what last week over an hour uh, to, to play in a tournament. You went like three States away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it was one state, but I can do three States. No problem. <laughs> I can do it. I can swing around and go in three States in, in one hour, but it went you to 14 hours and still be in Nevada. I know that's crazy. <laughs> No thanks. <laughs> I can be. You'll be I can like in a mucka. <laughs> I can drive an hour to go to the beach and then drive two hours and I can be in the mountains. Skiing. Okay, we have that too. You'll just be in another state. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> so I drove, but it's like it's more of like an old coal mine, rock hard, mountainous area, and like where I play, I'm like kind Very of like different. more beachy and and you know it's more sandy and a lot softer, and it was just completely two different fairways, and it was only an hour difference. So, and I was sitting there like slamming the club into the ground and it's just rock hard. I just wasn't used to it. And it's just, that's just an hour difference. It's just, it just, it's mind boggling how these pros can adapt so quickly. Absolutely. I think a big part is the caddies though. You know, oh, like, absolutely. They're, I was like, I don't need a caddy. No, <laughs> they are so important. <laughs> Yeah, we've had a we've had a couple caddies now. Uh, one that's kind of made his home down in Pinehurst, and then another one who travels around uh, with a couple guys on a corn ferry tour. And and even you know the caddy that's at Pinehurst consistently with all their different courses, he's like, I I know number two and number four. He said so well. 
but he said on other courses, caddies that just specifically caddy on like seven or eight all the time. He's like, I would send you their direction in a heartbeat, you know, in risk of you not playing well and me not getting paid. I would rather send them to you because I just don't know that course as well. And it's funny because they're on the same plantation. They're on the same, like they're on the same property, but it's just incredible to, to know the subtle differences and how well caddies can truly understand a course and help their players four or five strokes around. That's one thing I thought was phenomenal up in Bandon Dunes. Like those caddies know all of those courses because they get a group that gets there and they play all of them. You know, like that was something that really blew my mind up there with those caddies. I played with them and I was lucky enough to play with three caddies. And so I had to loot my own bag, but I'd get to my ball and I'd hear, you're 148, play it left of the pin. I was like, <laughs> this caddy's like 50 yards away from me in the rub. And I was like, yeah, whatever. I laser it, 148. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I should play it left of the pin. I was like, like phenomenal. Like, guys how are dialed in. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! And it was every course. Like, it, like that's those caddies are on their own level. <laughs> yeah, there's a reason they're notoriously one of the best places in the world to go spend oh. a golf trip, and I think they've they've proven it time and time again for anybody who experiences it. Uh, we haven't gotten to yet, but just the stories yeah. we hear, they're just they're bar none the top in the in the world. Oh, absolutely. That's and if you awesome. go, you have to get Sarah Joe on your bag because she's amazing. <laughs> I'll write it down, Dante. Mark it down, Sarah Joe. In booked. the notes, she's booked. <laughs> Perfect. I love uh, it. Yeah, Sarah Joe is one of my favorites. I fly her out for events once in a while. She's a. Uh, she came from an engineering background. She was deep sea fisherman, so she knows wind. She knows grass. Like she caddied for seven years before she started golfing. Like she is like oh, it's phenomenal to talk to her because she's like, no, like, I just know how wind works. I don't really know how golf works. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> wow. And now that she's learning golf, she's, she's one of the best caddies I've ever worked with. And it's because she grew, she started at Bandon. That's incredible. It's the stories like that that I'm always amazed by. The, the people that have different backgrounds and always somehow tie it back into golf and sometimes know it even better than the people that grew up playing golf for the, their entire lives. That, that's some of the things that amaze me the most. And I think whether it's caddies or whether it's just people within the industry that step into it when they're like 35 or older, that just they end up knowing it better because of a more worldly experience than just the game of golf. Those are open to learning too. A lot of the, a lot of the players that I meet, the juniors, when it's the only sport they've ever played, when they've been playing since they were kids, they think they know everything very young. And I'm like, mm, mm, no, <laughs> but the ones that are open to learning, those are the ones that, that really grow as players and become, they become the best ones. I think. For sure. There has to be that, like, I think innate desire to just know more than you ever think you could know. And like, just never stop asking questions and never stop kind of filtering in knowledge as you keep going. And it's the kids that stop at like that. Maybe it's eighth grade, maybe it's even high school, maybe they get to college and then they stop. And then it's like, it, it you got it. The, the best pros out there, the, the people that make a long living of it are constantly trying to figure out more and just understand it in a, in such a vast knowledge and spectrum that they'll never truly get there. And, and a lot of them, they, they know like their fundamentals. They know where they, they play their best and stuff. They try the new things. I, I play with Tommy Armand III a lot, who's awesome. He's been around forever, champion store and everything. But every time I'm out there, he, he has a new putter to try or a new wedge to try. He goes, I'm going to give it a try, something new. He's like, if I don't like him, I'm going to go back to my stuff. You know, like he's like, but he's always trying and learning and seeing mm -hmm. why someone would do that. You know, why would someone do a belly putter? Why would someone do, use a broom? You know, he's like, I'm going to try it. It's working for someone. There must be some, some merit to it because if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But those are the players that, continue to improve and continue to get better rather than just, you know, 
this worked that one time. I'm going to use it forever. <laughs> kind of guys. You and then know? you're stuck. And then you're stuck. <laughs> I love it. So speaking of trying things, what made you try long drive? You said you always hit the ball long in like high school. And obviously you hit the ball long in college, but what made you say, you know what, I'm going to dive into long drive. That's what I want to do. That's what I, that's what I want to try. So I was at the PGA show down in Orlando, which is awesome. If you guys haven't done that, put on your bucket list. We, oh, just did, did last year. First time. Did you? We did. Oh, I missed you. We yeah. did. Uh, next year. We'll catch you next year. Yes. Did you guys go to demo day? We did we not. did it. Oh, come on. That's the best part. So it's at Orange County National, which is a 360 degree driving range, like 500 yards across. Um, Paul Howell did hit it over at one point. It was downwind. <laughs> yeah. Come on. But, <laughs> oh, ask him. He did it. Um, but it, it's built to not be able to reach the other side. So you can hit from any point during the demo day. It is absolutely completely surrounded by all the new equipment. So you can try everything and anything. Um, so it was my first year there. I was looking for a new driver. I was looking for a bunch of stuff. I was still coaching at the time. And, you know, I've always been long. And there's not like a lot of other women that keep up with me on the range. And this girl's behind me and she's like, keep, if not out driving me. And I was like, who's this girl, right? And she kind of gave me that look and I kind of gave her that look. And then I realized 2013 world champion, Heather LeMaster was on her golf bag. And I go, Oh, at least she has a reason to be out driving me. That'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> like she's got the resume. And so, um, she was actually super awesome. We started talking, we were introduced and, uh, she walked me around with me for the next day at the PGA show. Um, obviously your first time there is kind of a little overwhelming. Um, and she was amazing tour guide and then ended up, I was living in Reno. She was in Sacramento. And so she invited me out and went and practiced with her and she's like, you should compete. And so I did got top four my first time and, you know, been kind of hooked ever since. That's awesome. It's funny how little like serendipitous things like that kind of happen and you meet the right people. And uh, Dante and I are kind of big believers and it just happens for a reason. And you get set up in the right times and it just more times than not falls into place. And, and, you know, if you're looking for it, you're going to find it kind of thing. Exactly. Uh, so after that top four, um, what, what brought you to like the extra drive to, to really start working out? I know fitness is a big thing um, in, in your kind of repertoire now of fitness and yoga and things like that. Like what, what put you over the edge to really dive into like focusing on long drive for a couple of years? So there was that year in between coaching and getting into long drive and I have always been competitive, ask my sister. Uh, <laughs> and I, I did not do well just going to the gym for no reason. So I had to have a reason. Um, so I looked into doing a bikini competition, like an NPC. And I was thinking about it. And I was talking to the boys at my gym. And they're like, all right, we're all going to go to dinner. Like, we'll talk about it at dinner after leg day. And I was like, sure. And so we got there. We got to dinner. We're all eating sushi. And they stopped me in the middle of dinner. They're like, yeah, no, you can never do a bikini. You should do powerlifting. I'm like, why? They're like, because you eat way too much food. I'm like, you're probably right. <laughs> um, but that's how I met all my powerlifting friends, and they got me into it, and I was, I was going to compete. Um, I hit 300 in my squat and dead, and I was trying to push 200 on my bench um, when I met Heather, and that's when I kind of got into long drive. And I realized at, at Worlds, my swing was kind of restricted because I'd gotten kind of too big. And so and since then is when I really worked on – balancing, you know, I, I don't really squat 300 pounds anymore. If I pick up, you know, 150, I'm like, woohoo, big day. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but it's been, you know, it's been five years of really, um, a little bit of trial and error, what works for my body and how to keep the strength as well as keep the mobility. 
at the same time, that's, you've seen me getting into the yoga on the social media a little bit, uh, which has been super beneficial. Um, I use all of the, I have all of the toys. I have like an entire dresser. I have the Theragun. I have the muscle scrapers, the foam rollers, the vibrating foam rollers. I got everything, <laughs> but that's, it's a big, you know, I've always been an athlete, but in working to optimize my, my workout routine with my golf swing has been, has been really, uh, you know, it's ongoing, but it's been a big part of my life for the past few years. Well, as you said, I think everything's always trial and error when you start lifting and when you start figuring out how your body's going to react to that, because one person might react to a set of workouts completely differently than another person. And, you know, if you get too big per se, some people's body might just never get that big that quickly. And and they might take years to get as big as maybe some other person gets in a few months or, you know, it's, it's just, it's, you have to do it. You have to do that trial and error to figure out what works for you. And especially on an athletic side of things, what gets you to turn the right length to really get the optimization out of your swing. And it's, it's always fun to see the people that really start diving down the, like you said, powerlifting or just, I think weights in general, how their body reacts and, and what they take to for their own personal physique. Absolutely. And you know, I've been very lucky to work with some of the top trainers in, in the sport. Um, but you know, like how they work didn't always work for me. So I've taken bits and pieces from all of these trainers and created my own program. And I've gotten to a point that my body is the healthiest it's ever been, the healthiest it's ever been, the strongest as well as most mobile. You know, I've, I've gotten to a point that I now know what my body needs to be able to continue to stay healthy and stay strong while still staying mobile. Because I, I did need that that little bit of a flexibility rather than just, you know, picking up heavy things. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I think the, the number one thing maybe people always think about is like the, at least in the past generation, my dad always says like, don't go David Duvall on yourself when he got like really big, really kind of upper body heavy yeah. and lost his golf swing. But look at Bryson DeChambeau. Exactly what I was going to say next. I wanted your opinion on this. So <laughs> he put on, he put on quote unquote 40 pounds. I don't think it was all in the upper body. He got, he got some big thighs too. He, he put on some leg weight, I believe as well. But awesome. like, obviously we're seeing him get big. Brooks is big. Tiger, when he came back was all, I think upper body bigger than he used to be. You know, what do you think maybe is the difference in this generation? Is it just more knowledge of, of how to kind of do both? As Dante said, I think said last week, the, the famous Brooks Kepka line of like, well, gymnasts can do all these athletic, you know, movements, the, the power bar and everything and, and, you know, be so agile yet be so kind of big in the upper body. Is it just more knowledge of how to continue to do both now? I think it's a lot of knowledge. I think it's a lot of, I think the last 20 years has been a lot of trial and error. Like you said, Duval just got big. He wasn't very mobile, you know, like you, you kind of have to have that balance. And I think in the past, especially the past like five years, we've gotten a lot of trainers that really understand that balance. You know, you're, you're seeing guys with like Colby Tulia, you are seeing guys um, like Nick Mueller is a huge example. He's out of Canada. He works with rad rollers. So he's really into the mobile stuff, Mm -hmm. but he makes me lift heavy things. You know, you, you see a lot of, a lot of really good trainers that are, are learning a lot right now. And they're, their trial and error is able to quickly translate into new athletes. You know, most of them go through a testing program first. So they're not just like, here's your program, do it. They go through the program and then they personalize it. And because they've gone through with so many athletes and gone through all the trial and error, they're, they're still learning obviously, but they're able to more quickly 
get you to a better spot and get you to where your body needs to be. Um, and I think that's just a big part in the past, like you said, when Tiger came back, but he came back correctly. He, he worked with the right trainers. He worked with the right guys that got him to where his body was functioning. His back didn't hurt, you know, like that kind of stuff that they couldn't have done 30 years ago, 20 years ago, because they're like, Oh, we'll just lift weights or don't lift weights. There, there was never that, you know, do bicep curls, but in a lunge, like that, that kind of mobility it's new and it's, it's much more focused. It's much better. And it's much easier to translate into the golf swing right now. I think even the biggest thing, and I think you touched on it a little bit too, is like when I, when I stepped on the campus in 2012, the, the trainers kind of laughed at our golf team saying, well, you want to work out. Why do you want to work out your golfers? Meanwhile, like Dante can attest to this when he was on campus for the four years, like that I was there, it was, well, the lacrosse team's putting on weight as much as possible. And now granted, I understand they got to push their body weight around on the turf field, but it's like, if, if the golf team wanted to work out, we were kind of like, well, you know, go run or something. Like we, you know, we were kind of just like put off from like lifting weights and, and it's just not that mentality anymore. You see some of the best, you know, teams in the country, Oklahoma state, Alabama, Texas, all these teams, they've got huge golf facilities with weight rooms to, to boot, you know, they're, they're all in there, they're all working out. And, and I think the the biggest thing too, which I think is really where I wanted to get to is these the kind of focused trainers are really putting the time in to figure it out athlete per athlete. And they're not training, you know, you as they would train Brooks and they're not training Brooks as they would, you know, DeChambeau and, and to come back to you and they're not training you like they would Troy Mullins. Like it's it just different body types, different, different ways to work out. A lot of the same things, but differently for your bodies. Mm -hmm. And these good trainers, the top trainers are doing a good job of, being able to do exactly what you need, working the transverse plane, working all of the rotational muscles, but also gaining the muscle when you need it. And they're, they're able to go through all of that stuff. You know, they're, I've, I've been very lucky to work with some of the top guys and a lot of them are doing a lot of the same things, just slightly differently, mm -hmm. you know, and, and sometimes that slightly differently works for an athlete. Sometimes it doesn't, but as long as they're able to know what they need and be able to translate it into each individual athlete, you know, it's, it's great. For sure. And in the golf game overall. And you, I mean, like you said, Dalton, like, cause we went to the same college and like, you know, obviously I played the cross at the time. So, you know, we got pushed around a lot and it was more about just brutal force. So you're just lifting the heaviest weight you possibly could just to put on mass not necessarily really needed the flexibility aspect for, for a golf swing. But like you said, I mean, now they're, you know, you, you'll see, you'll see like Texas and like all those, you know, top D one schools that have the funding and have like the, the available facilities for them. The lacrosse team compared to the golf team, they're doing the same lifts. They're doing these explosive Olympic lifts. Granted, they may be doing different weight, but they're, they're taking their bodies and they're just, amping it up more because you know golf's an explosive move and it, and it's an explosive move in a second mm -hmm. you know 70 times over <laughs> six hours like yeah. no other sport has that no other sport has to take 10 minutes off and then come back and perform for a second and then take 10 minutes off like no one else has it's hard to train for that you know and it, it, long drive is much different because we have to train to hit eight balls in three minutes and you have to have that that um endurance 
to be able to continue to swing that hard that many times that quickly. Whereas golf is like, you need to be able to last for six hours. You know, I, I would love to say four hours, but I play women's golf. So six, but, <laughs> but oh, man. you, it, that's one reason golfers are lifting is because especially in junior golf, I see it all the time. Great, great players. They get to 12, 13, 14th hole bogey, bogey, double. And then, you know, they part birdie in. Yeah, you're so they're like, well, what? they were tired, but they're like, Oh, only two more holes. We can play good. Right. Yeah. Like you do that so often. Mm-hmm. And you just like hit the nail on the head there too. I mean, you're, you're out there for four to six hours and majority of the time you're playing, it's a warm weather sport. So you're probably playing in, you know, 75 to like 95 degrees. Like peak <laughs> 75 time, so. is warm. You're so cute. Rep that northeastern life right there. Mrs. 108. Mrs. 108. The last time I played in New York, it was 78 degrees and I put a jacket on and the pro laughed at me and I was like, oh, that's so cute. My AC is set at 81. So (laughs) this is freezing. I was hot today. It was set at 75 in my house. I feel attacked. (laughs) I was I was complaining today that it was I 85 and hundred percent humidity. I was like, this is okay. Ridiculous. The humidity you win. We don't have a, yeah. yeah <laughs> we you have like that 12% really humidity us. here and I was sweating. <laughs> but yeah, we'll share, oh, we'll share humidity with you any day. I can, yeah. I can yeah. The humidity is the killer really when it comes yes. down to the humidity, that's the killer. But you know, when you're out it. there, when you're out there sweating like crazy and you know, the heat or humidity is getting to you and you, but you have the endurance and able to, you know, push even longer. That's just, that's more power to you. Yeah. And it it, it puts you up, I think an edge on the competition when you can walk down like hole 12, 13, 14 and make gains on the rest of the field. That's, Mm -hmm. that's something that sets people apart. Um, And and I think I want to know too, what is, what is maybe something that sets you apart or, or something that you know that you've done in the past that when you don't do it, you don't hit the ball as well during that day. Like what's the pre Eat. on the grid routine <laughs> eat. eat eat a lot and stay <laughs> hydrated is that just is it as simple as that but it's eating the right things at the right time um you again we're out there you know you get there you warm up for an hour you're playing for four to five hours you need to be able to have the fuel in your body and it's not just day of it's the day before it's two days before you know everyone talks about the spaghetti feed the day before an event worst idea ever it needs to be two days before because then you have time to digest to store and then be able to use those carbs as energy right if you do it the day before your body doesn't have the time i can't do carbs before an event because it just sits heavy in my stomach. I don't like it. So when I'm going to events, you know, it's a lot of protein, it's good fats, avocados, you know, that kind of stuff that's going to give you the energy to get through. And then I snack, my caddies must hate me because every two holes I'm like, Oh, more food, more food. How much food do you have in your golf bag? (laughs) You know, but it's, it's just a little bit here and there, you know, it's a banana, it's some almonds, it's some, it's just a little bit here and there that just keeps the fueling going. It, it's the players that you see that don't drink water that aren't eating or, you know, at the turn, they're like, Oh, I'm going to have a hot dog. Like, no, that's terrible, terrible plan because, okay. So now you just ate that. You're going to get the sugar high. You're going to feel great for a hole. You're going to, you're going to fail. Then again, holes 13, 14, 15, you don't have that energy. A right. So, downward slide. Yeah, exactly. So that is a huge, I'm a huge advocate of eating good foods 
that get you through and just snacking things. You know, I don't want to have a hamburger on the second hole. That's weird, but protein shakes, nuts, anything like that, that travels like the amount of like, I eat pretty healthy, but the amount of like packaged food I eat is like a lot because it travels in the golf bag. Well, Mm -hmm. you know, and chocolate doesn't. So (laughs) you've got to have that, you know, what you can travel with, what you can eat on the course. But that is absolutely one thing I drill into my, my, my juniors, you know, I give them extra points if they bring Gatorade, water, nuts, if they have something to snack on candy, not so much, but it's huge to be able to get through around to be able to continue to play well for that long. For sure. And I think it just goes back to what we were talking about with the workout side of things. It's an, it's an elongated process and you have to kind of slowly keep your body attentive just as well as your mind. You know, you have to keep it focused on the goal. And if you are not eating properly or not drinking properly, the body's energy doesn't focus on the goal. It kind of depletes itself. And, and then, you know, you can't properly perform. So exactly. it, it's, and, it's tough to do. It, it is something you have to, I think, practice as well on your golf game is eating at the right times and staying hydrated. Exactly. And like a lot of people are like, Oh, it's not a sport. You can like eat while you do it. And I was like, yeah, you have to like, <laughs> you know, you go to a football game, you eat, you play the football game for an hour and a half, and then you're done. You can eat again, right? We're out there for five hours. No one else is out there that long. So you have to continue to fuel your body. Otherwise, again, those last few holes, you're starting, your body does not like not having food. A hundred percent. No, not at all. I get hangry. I get hangry quick. And oh that's yes. Good, that's not a good combo on the golf course. No. no. Or like ever, all my friends know like, oh, Alex needs food. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody get this or girl caffeine. a pack of almonds stat. <laughs> so does it, does it, is it the same like for long drive? Like do you treat long drive differently in preparation than you do like a Symmetra tour event? And, and how, if so, how does that maybe differ? The big thing with long drive is you're only practicing one club, right? So yeah, we have, we have a few different drivers, but you're only practicing a driver swing, right? So you only have to practice for like an hour. And then you're kind of done. Whereas if you're practicing prepping for a tournament, you have 14 clubs. I can spend an hour working on three footers, right? And then chipping and then pitching and then everything else, right? It's totally different preparing before an event. Um, And then depending on the long drive event. So the boys this year at Worlds, you know, they're there for seven days because they have to get from 128 down to 64, 32, right? When there's 64 players, that means there's 32 events, right? There's 32 different matches. So they can only compete like once. <laughs> so they, you know, they compete Thursday morning and then Friday night, and then they get down to the top 16, right? So it's a little different on the boys' side. The girls' side, we did our entire pool play and then got all the way to quarterfinals in one day. Yay! Super fun. We had to hit 88 golf balls um, at full speed, full speed, full length shafts in like four hours. That was like a lot, right? Because even when you're playing golf for four hours, like you hit 12 drivers, maybe, right. You swing full, maybe 20 times, right. We're swinging full 88 times because we had 11 different pool play events and then you got into quarterfinals. So like that day was rough because, you know, you have to stay fueled. You have to, we were in Oklahoma. Like you got to stay hydrated. Uh, you have to 
take care of your body so you can continue to compete. You could see a lot more out of bounds balls getting later in the day because girls are getting tired. You know, you, yeah. you can't do that. It is a completely different animal playing that kind of pool play in one day rather than one match. I think that's the biggest, maybe, I don't know if you call it misconception, maybe that's the wrong word, but people only see the long drive when it's on TV and it's the one or two matches. And yeah, it's like, you well, got it, to see quarterfinals. Exactly. That's it it took, like you just said, the 30, 40 plus rounds or whatever, depending on the venue, depending on the event to get to there. And you're tired by these finals, especially if they're the same day. Yeah. Especially for the girls division, it's a little bit different. That's, that's really neat. And I think it's something that's, you know, people don't really think about is kind of just the back end that goes into long drive, which is, it's a grind. It's a, it's an all day affair and, and it's, you know, it's a lot of energy and a lot of focus to, to get that one ball, especially if there's, like you just said, I think you said a little earlier, some places are different than others. Grids are hotter on sides than others and might take funky hops on grids compared to others. So um, yeah. it, it's some, is it sometimes maybe even luck of the draw to maybe where you hit it and the bounce you get in, in some of these venues? Oh, absolutely. That's, that's one thing about long drive. We don't love, but you know, it's, you know, you got to roll with the punches a little bit on that one. For sure. Yeah. It's, uh, it's exciting to watch on TV. I know uh, it's probably exciting to sometimes more watch, more exciting to watch on TV than it is to experience it, uh, you know, live and in person, especially if you're on the bad end of a bounce or anything like that. But uh, it's definitely, it's, I think it's something that's, I I think still gaining popularity too. more and more people seem to be tuning into these long drive events I think within the last year or two at least from my perspective um, so it's cool to continue to see that grow both on the men's and the women's side of things yeah so the golf channel actually bought the long drive tour a few years ago and that's kind of why I've been seeing it more on tv it's because mm-hmm. um golf channel wanted to help grow it it's a it's a good way to help try and grow golf in general because again a lot of people don't have time to play 18 holes every day right you know again it's a six-hour commitment you have an hour to warm up you go play you're gonna go have a beer afterwards like it's a commitment whereas long drive is like let's go hit a bucket like you know 45 minutes later and and you got the practice and you needed so it's it's a sport that we can really help to grow golf in general and then hopefully get the to grow long drive and then hopefully get those players to start competing in golf you know it's i think golf golf channel was really trying to help grow golf in general, um, using long drive as catalyst. I think it's been a great opportunity for them. And I think we see it on both sides, you know, the women's and the men's side. Uh, we see a lot of the men's guys kind of talking about the possibility of them switching over. You had Jamie Sidlowski kind of completely hang up the, the long drive clubs and go play on the corn Ferry tour. Um, those guys don't just hit the ball long. They've got game. A good majority of them got game too. Uh, and, and like yourself, you had game before you stepped in a long drive and, and still have game with long drive. So it's neat to see, um, you know, people be able to do both. You know, how, how do you manage doing both? And, and what's the schedule maybe even look like for you doing both here in the future? You know, there, there's not a lot of us that do both. Um, most of the girls, they tried to play and then got into long drive later on to compete in something. And most of the guys came from other sports, a lot of baseball players, a lot of, you know, ex major league players that, you know, want to keep doing something active and competitive. Um, there are quite a few good players. You mentioned Jamie. We had a few players that have qualified for us opens that have played on mini tours. Um, it's, we hate when everyone's like, Oh, they hit it that far, but can they putt? Like it's not their sport. You know, a lot of them have, are only there for long drive. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's different. Um, this year has been um, difficult for everybody. 
um, and in trying to play and practice and, and do both. Long Drive has unfortunately been canceled through Worlds. Worlds got postponed. Um, we're still hoping to have it, but we're not sure. Um, and then, you know, Symmetra LPGA Tour aren't even starting till July. Mm-hmm. So it's it's uh, it's been a little different this year. And I'd love to answer that question a little bit, not so uh, politically correct. I sound like I'm running for president with that. I didn't actually answer anything, but <laughs> that's what it is right now. Um, hey, we've, uh, we've, we've understood it. We've, we've talked to a lot of people, <laughs> you know, in, in and around just the golf industry as a whole. And that's the answer. It's the unknown. And, and, you know, no, uh, no offense taken to the way you answered it. Cause it's right. It's there's a, there's a fingers crossed mentality and a lot of, a lot of what's going on right now and just the kind of hoping it, that it comes through within the end of the and, summer and hopefully. And it's not even just the scheduling, which the scheduling stinks, but like last year I played a few events with the women's all pro tour down in Texas. Um, and they were amazing. They set up host families at every event. They had dinners that all the stuff that they're not doing this year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so, you know, last year I, I drove out there and then I was able to stay with host families and my sister lived in Texas. My best friend lives there. So I was able to stay at their places in between and then have somewhere during the event. Right. Um, I don't have that this year. So if I were to go to an event, you know, it's a $500 entry fee, it's travel, it's a rental car, it's a hotel now because we don't have, so I went from, you know, entry fee to $3,000 because of, you know, like that's a big difference because now we have to pay for housing now we have to do all these other things that as many tour players you have to consider you know is it is it worth it to play in this event is it do we play in this one or that one because i have someone to stay with but i don't have someone to stay with because no one can stay anywhere because of covid (laughs) you know it's it's not even like everyone's like well the schedule came out like okay now i have to figure out everything else that goes with it do i have a caddy there do i have to pay for a caddy do i have somewhere to stay do i have is there Uber? Do I need a rental car? Like all those things that when host families are provided, that's taken care of, you know? So it's not even the schedule now it's now all this other stuff. I I feel like it's, it's taken, you know, men's and women's side of things, both kind of qualifying tours and it's taken it and just complicated it almost to the point of like, we were making so many strides and making it easier for all of these, uh, you know, perspective, tour players to, to be able to chase the dream and, and make it a little easier on the pocket to be able to do so on both sides of the game. And, and it's kind of stepped us back and been like, well, now it was becoming, I wouldn't say affordable because any kind of qualifying tour is just expensive. Entry fees are ridiculous, travel fees and all this, but like it was becoming a little more practical than what it used to be. With it, like, it was at least an option for a lot of people, you know, for sure. Once you get there, everything's taken care of, you know, I, I don't know if you guys heard the story. Lexi Thompson left her passport in her golf bag, mm-hmm. but why was her golf bag not with her? Because the tour ca- takes care of it. It takes all of your equipment to the next event. So when you're, when you're at the top, they, they take care of that. And that was a big thing with like the women's all pro and the all pro tour last year is that they were taking care of host family, um, housing for us and stuff. If you wanted it without that, that's a, big expense that a lot of players are now trying to figure out how to cover because it wasn't in their budget for this year. You know, it's, it's, it's a thing that we're all dealing with. Well, and and like, how are you guys maybe attacking that? You know, I see some people going like the GoFundMe route. Some people are getting personal sponsors, you know, what's a way you're maybe looking at, you know, kind of still chasing that dream if, if at all possible. I just need to find that sugar daddy. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, um, listeners, help her out. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I, I am very lucky in that I have the long drive side. I'm top 10 in the world still in long drive. So what I am able to do is corporate and charity appearances. So I get paid to show up to um, charity scrambles. Usually I get sponsored by, you know, someone like Corona <laughs> as I'm wearing one of my old Corona shirts. Um, and so they will sponsor me to be there. I'll show up with a keg of, of Corona. I'll have people drinking on my hole and stuff. And then players pay to try and outdrive me. All the money that I make on my hole goes back to the charity. So the Corona looks good because it's the Corona long drive hole. Right. I then have Corona on the hole. So everyone's like, woohoo, beer. And then they then pay to be a part of this long drive competition. So we're, we're now, I get, I get my appearance fee. The charity's making money and Corona is sponsoring the event. Right. So it's a win win on all sides. And so I'm very lucky in that I have that side because that's how I'm able to, um, you know, put gas in my car. <laughs> so I go to the Absolutely. next event. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm very lucky in, in having that. A lot of players don't have that. They're getting real jobs, but with a real, real job, that's real time commitment. That's less time on the golf course. That's less practice time. That's harder to compete with the girls that have the full sponsor. They're right. able to practice and play all day, every day. Right. For sure. um, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of GoFundMe, a lot of, everyone's kind of doing what they can to, to make ends meet, to continue to try and play because I had a real job for a minute and it's terrible. Well, I tell you what, uh, before COVID, Dante and I also had real jobs and, and we're liking the other side of things and trying to figure out how to continue this side of things, making some money, but doing the golf stuff. So we know where you're coming from. We know exactly what you're saying. And uh, it, it's tough to, for those people who don't have it to, to find a real, I would say, way of living because it's all they've known for the last couple of years has been chasing the dream and, and you know, getting by by doing what they're, you know, what they love. So it's, um, it's, it's nice to see, you know, you have that side of things and, and are able to make those appearances. Uh, how can people get in contact with you to, to book you for these kind of events? Um, social media is like the best way that I keep updated on AFIL, AFIL. Um, but if you go to swinglikeagirlgolf.com, that is my website and that has all my contact information. Um, please don't call me at like two in the morning, <laughs> but, um, no, I, that I'm trying to keep that updated a little bit better, but that will then have links to all of my social media and everything. And uh, yeah, so swinglikeagirlgolf.com is kind of the easiest way to get in touch with me, get my email and everything. Awesome. Love that. Before, you, before we let you go, I got to ask, you know, what is your longest drive to date in on the grid and what's your longest drive off the grid? 377 is my longest in competition. Um, which that's, that's everyone's favorite question to ask. It's hilarious because um, I won an event at 289. I lost at 377 by six inches. So there's always that. <laughs> wow. That's wow. incredible. Uh, you know, it's, it's a lot about the grid. It's a lot about where we are, but uh, I did drive a 421 hole a couple of weeks ago. So I'm pretty happy with that one. That's pretty sweet. Uh, and, and that's with standard clubs, right? Yeah, actually I go shorter in all my equipment. I'm about half a inch short. Awesome. Well, that, that is... Long drive clubs are USGA regulation. So shoot that long stuff. <laughs> hey, I just, I had to, I had to put it in there for, you know, the haters. I had to, had to get in that long club action and, and get in that topic real quick. What's the, uh, what, what is the length of your long drive club compared to, you know, so your, your regular full, full US regulation. You can go up to 48 inches. There's a few people doing it like Brooke Henderson, Bryson mm -hmm. Bow went to it this week. Um, whereas a standard club is about 45 and a half. I play a 45 and then I go up to 47 in long drive. 
because at five, five and a half, if I stand up really tall, I can pull off five, six. I'm, I'm not one of the bigger competitors in long drive and 48 inches starts becoming inefficient for me. So my coach has me in a 47, which seems to produce the most consistent and the best results for me. Yeah. And something you dropped in there real quick, which I think is just fascinating. You're five, six, you're not by far the, the, like the tallest competitor out there yet. You're competing your top 10 in the world. What does it say to, I think that the competition, or I guess the conversation, I should say, Dante and I talk about this all the time where distance is an issue on tour and people say, well, these guys are coming out. They're other athletes. They're six, this, they're six, that, and they're that long, you know, is technology really helping like the shorter folks out here hit it longer or is it just because you're working your ass off and in the gym it, it, what's the what's the fine line there there's kind of three things um i mean height is going to help you know physics the taller you are the longer your swing because you mm -hmm. have a bigger radius you have more time to gain club head speed but every six foot six person is not going to hit it farther than me right just because you're bigger than me. If we put the same exact golf swing on it, physics, absolutely six foot six is going to hit it further than five foot six. But it doesn't mean everyone that's bigger than me is going to hit it farther, right? That's why I do those charity events because people are like, I can outdrive her. I'm like, yeah, good luck. But, and that's one thing. If you watch my golf swing, one thing I, my coach has me doing really well is having those hands higher at the top of my swing, right? You see a lot of amateurs, you see a lot of shorter hitters they have in their backswing, their hands are kind of down closer to their ear and closer to their head. Whereas if you go farther up again, that's going to make the radius of your golf swing longer. And with that, you have more time to gain club head speed. You don't have to have the John Daly super long swing club head, right? Absolutely. If you have that mobility, use it. I don't have that. I go to parallel and I'm like, Oh, that's too far. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what I do do well is I have those hands up high because in doing that, my five foot six becomes six foot compared to a six foot person with their hands lower. Our hands are then at the same place. We have the same radius golf swing. We're able to have equivalent club head speeds. For sure. That's awesome. And I think it just, it goes back to not only swing your swing, but like the way you have your website laid out, swing like a girl, like you can figure it out. It's just about getting the physics to work in your favor and, exactly. and you know, absolutely and, pound the ball like you do. <laughs> exactly. And I mean, going to eight balls kind of, you know, made it favor the bigger people because they can just swing harder and hope one goes straight back when it was four balls back when Jamie Sabowski was really good mm -hmm. was because he could swing that fast and hit the grid, right? So, I mean, that's, that's a big thing. I'm a huge advocate to go back to four balls because I'm little and I, but I have a very efficient golf swing that I'm going to hit the fairway, you know, whereas I got eight balled a lot at Worlds this year. Um, I mean, Sandra Carlberg, obviously one of the best in the sport, um, believe she's five-time world champion now, um, but she uh, is very good at going OB, 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 357. What? <laughs> you know, um, and so it's, uh, it's definitely different going to those eight balls compared again, even at the golf course where you only have one. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. There's uh, there's something to be said. I think we all become better second golfers. Todd Dante and I talk about this all the time. Second ball is usually always better than the first on the golf course. So I can't imagine eight balls off the tee. I think one of them's going to find the fairway yeah. or the grid as you guys have out there in long drive. So um, it's interesting to see that, that kind of change they made. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, it's kind of in talks right now and I hope they go back to six, if not four, but, um, it's, 
it's a different sport. You know, a lot of people talk about it. They compare it to equestrian and rodeo. It's the same equipment, but not really. <laughs> I would say not close, but you know, if, if, if you, if you can find the similarities, then, you know, teach their own, but uh, it, it's fun to watch and it's fun to see, you know, you ladies out there, uh, keeping up with the men at some points. And it's, it's incredible to, you know, see it out there happening. And I think more and more we see it, like you said, as golf channel picked it up, the stands are picking up more fans are out there watching you guys. Um, it's fun to see. And, and it's exciting to see you ladies pushing the limits of, of how far we can hit golf balls out there with, with regulation equipment. And that's one reason I was really excited to go to Chicago this year. It was supposed to be held at Cog Hill, which is a huge golf area. You know, I thought we were going to get some really good fans out there. Uh, Windstar has been great the past few years, but it is in Thackerville, Oklahoma. Uh, yeah, you laughed. No one knows that's a real place either. So <laughs> being in a real town, being in a real city like Chicago, I think would have been super awesome for us. So hopefully that still happens, but we'll see. For sure. Well, we have our fingers crossed for you and uh, we just want to see, you know, not only you, but the men and, and just everybody back out competing. No, just, just me. I'm the only one that matters. All right. All right. We just want to see you. Compete. Maybe Paul Howell. Y'all had him on a couple of days ago. We want to, we want to see you picking up world, world, world championships here. We want to see it happen. We want to see the hardware go home with Alex Phillips. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, uh, best of luck in, in whichever happens, you know, whether it's competition first or some sort of, you know, charity event with you. If you're back out in the golf course, hitting long drives, hitting bombs, we just, we're happy to see it. Thank you so much. So thank you so much for joining us. You know, I, I know you said people can contact you on your website and social media. So guys go out there and do that and uh, just watch some of her videos. Your swing's impressive. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. So thanks again, Alex. Appreciate the time. Thank you guys so much. That's the stop. One shot at a time.